Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found check battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. You're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, presented by Scree Gear. Season is in full swing. Told you last week about the new Gridlight jacket. That jacket is now available online for your purchase, along with several other weekly deals that they have going on, including the Whitetail Starter Bundle with the 14-day risk-free trial, and... Other things, I encourage you every week to go shop online at ScreeGear.com. Check it out if you're in the market for some new hunting gear. If you have kind of followed along or seen kind of the influence in the outdoor hunting and apparel market towards layering and performance gear, that is right where Scree sits, right there in competition with a lot of the other big brands that I'm sure you're aware of. Same quality but with a lifetime warranty and a VIP sizing guarantee so you can shop online uh, with confidence that you're not going to have to spend any more money sending stuff back. They're going to take care of all that to make sure you get the right sizes and you're totally satisfied. The company's built on excellent customer service. That's kind of the backbone at a better price point, performance gear, and um, really everything you need, especially being in the south where we're experiencing some pretty cool weather for October, but overall, it just doesn't get that cold. So lightweight, all the way to cold weather gear, rain gear, and uh, as I mentioned before, lifetime warranty on everything. So follow them on social media and YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. You can watch some of my hunts. You can watch other hunts and a lot of other content there to kind of familiarize yourself with all the different products that they sell and their different camouflages and all that kind of thing. So follow them along, find out more, and shop online at ScreeGear.com. So we're uh, we're now just like a time march on this podcast where I feel like it was just yesterday that I was saying, it's opening day, and now it's like, oh, we're a week in the season. Now it's like we're in the second half of October, and it's just yeah. going to go flying by. Colin is on with me. What's up, dude? So what's going on, man? So it's kind of me and Colin are tag team in this uh, this podcast today. Levi's off doing something, and uh, we don't know what, but he's not here. 
And um, it's it's kind of the everybody. I would say it's like that point in time where whether you've hunted a whole lot, everybody's kind of everybody's there. You know what I'm saying? Like the season's far enough in that that uh, I would think the majority of people at least have started strategizing and doing things, even if you're kind of late to the party. So we're all kind of knee deep in it now. And I don't know what you think, Colin, but I don't recall. I do not recall having this cool of weather in the month of October in a very long time. No, well, I mean, I'm a little bit younger than you, so no, I, I definitely don't. Usually the thermostat's in the bag throughout the whole month of October. Um, I know today as we're recording this, another day of great weather. We probably should have been should've in the been stand hunting. this evening right about now, but we're doing this. But yeah, it's... Yeah. You know, you, you kind of talk about sometimes where like, eh, like October is always hot. You don't hunt too much because the weather sucks. It's, the wind's always out of the south. And this year's just been different. It's some north winds uh, coming through this week. Yeah. And the temperature is great. I mean, I think I think at my where I hunt yesterday morning, I think it got to like, I don't know, low 30s, 32, 33, something like that. My truck thermostat at I, I I leave here to take the kids to school at like seven forty, so you know it's daylight and everything, and it's still early in the morning. I guess from a hunting time period standpoint, it's still kind of that first uh, first half of the morning hunt. But it it's been thirty two on my truck on my truck thermometer for the last two mornings now. I don't know exactly how accurate that is, but there's been frost on the ground. Like there's a there's a couple of fields not far from my house when you turn on the highway and they've been frosted over. But not not hard frost, but I mean some frost the last two mornings. So it's been around that freezing mark and I, I I'm sure it's been this way, but I don't recall it. And like to your point, um I spent the weekend in Kansas and I'm gonna tell some stories about that, but it's obviously cooler up there uh, on average uh, all of the year, but uh, we had some some cool weather up there, and we sort of followed this cold front. We came home on Monday, and the cold front was kind of pushing. So I got home Monday evening, and yesterday and the Tuesday and Wednesday, I, I had done some things around the house and went and checked some cameras and stuff at my property here near the house. And it's a weird conundrum. Because you're in the woods and you realize it's the middle of October, but it feels like I ought to be like finding buck sign, and it feels like I need to be getting in those morning spots that I normally get in when I'm expecting a little pre-rut activity, possibly. But then I have to remind myself, like it's we're, actually we're way off. From it's that. actually the, only the middle of October, so I, I, yeah, yeah, it's 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 super nice. I'm I haven't hunted and I I've wanted to, but I just between yeah. other obligations and just being lazy i haven't actually hunted these two days but it's been nice and i the, the bad part about it is is i'm i sit here and i know that as nice as this is inevitably we're gonna have a 78 degree weekend in the middle of october or Next no, week. middle of november and it's gonna <laughs> piss me off so i know yeah, that's it's, coming yeah it's you know with, with this weather i was at my property probably I don't know. Whenever I texted uh, you and Levi, maybe maybe five or days ago or so, and 
we had scrapes popping up. We we got the cooler weather come through. Scrapes are popping up on the road now. It's it's young bucks, and the scrapes are going to go cold. But I'll be curious to see next time I go up there if new ones popped up from the past two past two mornings being really cold. Um, I don't know. That's something that you know. Obviously, we're not anywhere near the rut, but just that that kind of gets me fired up and looking forward yeah. to you know what's to come. Yep. So it's it is it's it's been an uh, interesting interesting weather pattern, and I know I don't I don't like subscribe to this, but I always catch myself paying attention to the long term forecast and almanac kind of kind of predictions, and they're saying that we're supposed to have a cold winter. I think is what right. I'm hearing. We're supposed to have a cooler than average and drier than average fall slash winter colder temperatures and less moisture i think is what i heard yesterday somewhere or another which i'm all for that both of those i mean we need some dry we need some rain like it's it's bad and i'll tell you this we joke colin and i travel around and do what we do and we joke about the rain because it rains everywhere we go all the time (laughs) and we went to kansas in august and it hadn't rained all summer and it rained while we were there and then I went back to Kansas to go hunt with my my son this weekend, and it literally has not rained since we were there. And it rained Friday it rained and again? Saturday night <laughs> while I was there. Which I mean, Matt it, just loves you. He's just like, like, come on, Matt, move up here, because I mean, it is so bad, man. Like we were at the stayed at the cabin um, Thursday night through uh, Monday. We left Monday, and like I wanted to build a, a, a little a little fire outside and enjoy the night. And I was like, I'm scared to death to burn anything. Cause it's just like, they're in a yeah. crazy drought. And, uh, yep. you know, but I mean, yeah, yeah you're, you're seeing everything, even with like the Mississippi river and everything, yeah. all the pictures on Facebook. I mean, that's partially due because, you know, all the way up the river in the Midwest, it's been a drought. so, so dry this summer. So, so I know that has an effect on it. What we did this weekend, my son, drew kansas archery tags and he obviously can't take a week away from school to go hunt in the rut like many of us do go to the midwest in november for a week and you know and we do that every year and he can't he's you know that's just too much school to miss so they actually were out of school this monday for something or another teachers meeting or something and so we you know miss school on fridays just one day and make a long weekend get to go hunt with his tags and you know we're talking about how dry it was well we we left after school thursday and so we basically drove all night we didn't get there till three or four o'clock in the morning slept in a little while got up and started moving cameras and you know just kind of doing all the catch-up work that we haven't done since we were there in august and by the time we got back to the cabin and got all that work done i still had two ladder stands and boxes that need to be put together and you know, everything's just, you're trying to get everything done so you can just hunt a couple of days before you got to turn around and come back home. And there's a little cow pond at our at the cabin we stay at up the driveway. A couple hundred yards, there's a little cattle pond, which is dried up to pretty much a, a small, or not a small, a large water mud hole. And uh, there was an old ladder stand there by it, and I had stopped on the way in and kind of went over there and checked it and redid the straps and made sure it was safe and all, and we were running out of time, and I hadn't even unpacked, really. I just got up, put on some clothes, and went to work. And 
It's like I, I just don't, I don't have time to get all my stuff together to go hunt and try to film a hunt and do all this stuff. So I said, I'm just going to drive you up there and stick you on that water hole. I said, it is so dry. And it was pretty, it, it wasn't hot, but I mean, it was October warm on Friday. It was, you know, in probably yeah. in the low 80s during the day. So it's kind of warm, south wind, all of our other stands. You know, we set up everything for pretty much north wind because that's pretty much what you're going to get most prominently in November. And, um, that's this, what you hope you're going to get. Yeah, that's what you hope you're getting. <laughs> and uh, this spot was good for a south wind. There was water. It was like, it's dry. It's hot. This spot's good for the south wind. I'm just going to run you up there and put you in the stand and go back to the, the cabin and do, get some work done so we can focus on hunting the next two days. And He wasn't in the stand an hour, and he calls me. I smoked her. <laughs> I smoked her. She ran 60 yards and fell over. So he, he, yeah, sure enough, I mean, dope, you know, it was probably two hours until dark. And so six, six, 15, something like that. He had a doe come in and went to the water and he had to wait on her to leave the water and shot her at about 25 yards, quarter and away, just perfect shot. She went 60 and piled up. So then I spent the rest of the night in the rain trying to, you know, the storm kind of blew in at dark and, it didn't rain hard, but it rained a little bit, and getting the deer tended to and all that. So we um, we we have some land there around the cabin, uh, a couple hundred acres that we can hunt, and a couple of farms within a few miles there that, that, that are ag farms and different things, you know, what you are used to seeing in the Midwest. And um, so the next morning we got up and hunted there at the cabin, and... Um, it was nice. It was probably in the high thirties, low forties, north wind that that rain that came through that night, and we had a good hunt. We didn't. We we saw some deer when we were getting down. Of course, you know, we start climbing down. There's deer walking across over to us, and we ended up kind yeah. of blowing that up. But we had a spot set up on the back of a cut cornfield where um, Matt had hung a Matt uh, our our guy up there with one eighty. You hear us advertising for 180. It's, we were we're hunting on 180 properties, and he had hung a stand on the back of a cut cornfield, and it's kind of a traditionally a good spot. The deer always pass through there and coming and going in that cornfield. And we hunted there that first afternoon, and I don't know, man. We probably saw 20 deer, probably. Like when the sun, once the sun got down low enough to kind of shade that field, uh, they just started popping out everywhere, and we ended up having three bucks came into the field on the far across from us and they came right down the edge right past where we were they were just kind of feeding but making their way across and it was two eight points and a little small buck and i had told him he could shoot either one of the eight points one of them was wide didn't have much for brow tines but it was pretty wide the other one that he shot was kind of tall and narrow unique looking rack and he just basically ended up they got close to us, and, of course, they kind of acted. I don't think they smelled us. They definitely didn't see us, but they were just kind of spooky as they come through that corner. And um, he ended up taking the best shot he got at, at, at one of the two of them, and it was the taller, kind of narrow, tall rack. Really cool-looking rack and uh, made a perfect shot. That video will be up on Scree's YouTube channel. You can watch sometime over the next week or two. I'll get it done. and. It was a it was a hell of an experience. I mean, you know, it we we he shot the deer and it ran. We I didn't see it fall, but it was going down as it left the field and it ended up it was laying 
15 yards inside the woods there and um we sat a while and ended up seeing a really big buck came out in the field behind us and we watched him for a little while and we saw several other really big bucks throughout the weekend while we were going in hanging stands and moving cameras and doing all that kind of stuff so i'm pretty excited about november i'm excited for the hunt i mean 13 year old boy made two perfect shots uh got a ice chest full of deer meat and you know getting a taste of the midwest now yeah he's uh he might have to be you might be putting in for two kansas tags from here on out now yeah he's <laughs> he uh you know the crazy thing and you know how it goes i mean you can't just because you see something on camera doesn't mean that it would unfold that way if you were sitting there but uh he killed that buck and it was a it, it was a nice buck i mean a really nice buck for louisiana not not the biggest deer in kansas or anything but uh a really nice buck and you know, the next morning, the next afternoon, and Monday morning, we had really big shooters on camera right in front of the stand. <laughs> he was like, I should have waited. And in I'm that like, same stand? Yeah. I'm like, there's one one really nice 10-point, probably 140-inch type 10-point that showed up <laughs> that night. I mean, I, I mean, he showed up like within an hour of us getting the deer out of there after we didn't drove in that cornfield with a side-by-side, loaded the deer up and everything. And then there's this deer, and then he's back the morning, the evening. He's there all the time. and um, mm. But that's like I told him, you know. I mean, yeah, you're getting pictures of that deer in that field and, and passing through that corner and all, but if you're sitting in the stand, there's no guarantee that deer's not going to see you or smell you. or Just because you got a picture of him there doesn't mean if you were sitting there yeah. that it would, you know, that he would have even given you a shot. So um, it was a – for me it's kind of the start of my season i haven't hunted and um i don't hunt a lot early season unless we you know have something real specific i'm hunting but it was a great start to the season so that was fun and um i'm i now we're like two weeks away from going back we're going back the first of november and we got two weeks to hunt pretty much two weeks about 12 days to hunt if we want to hunt that long and got a lot of big deer on camera so i'm excited about that and i finally did get a decent deer on camera here at my house uh today i guess it was tuesday night um i had moved the camera before we left to go to kansas to a trail just a real commonly used trail and i got a picture of a deer in the middle of the night tuesday night that was pretty good deer a pretty good deer for our area so things are picking up you know season's going it's I know you and Levi spend a lot of time on on the Louisiana Bowhunter social media and stuff, and man, oh, people man. are killing a lot of deer. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I, I posted another one today. Um, a guy, it was his first area six first um, buck with his bow. He said it was like it was an eleven point. It was like twenty two inches wide, two hundred thirty six pound deer. I mean, it was a really really nice deer. Mm. So it's, I mean, it's good to see that. Yeah. Seems to me like a lot of people are having, you know, a really great start to their their season so far. Yeah, I don't know if it's just cyclical. You know, some years are better than others. How much of it has to do with the fact that we've had pretty good weather for compared to, you know, some years we've had just almost nothing but south winds and humid, hot. And even when we've had warmer days, we still are having more high pressure, more, you know, variable winds. We haven't had that just, you know, real oppressive southern gulf stream type humidity weather we haven't had that even on the warmer days so no um i i, I don't know if that has to do with it I, I i don't know but it's been a good year 
We've all been there. It's early. You're rubbing your eyes, drinking your coffee, just trying to wake up, making that drive to your favorite tree stand, and out of nowhere, a big doe just has to center your passenger side door. The first thought out of your mind, after a few choice words, is let me call my insurance agent. Let Jake Slocum be that call. With five-star claim service and a friendly staff by your side, whether it's auto, home, life, business, or farm, Jake Slocum at American National has you covered. Call or text 318-255-0096 today for a free assessment. Jake Slocum, American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider. Whether it's your hunting truck, the side-by-side you're pulling behind your truck, your home, life, business, or farm, Jake Slocum has you covered. Call or text Jake Slocum at American National Insurance at 318-255-0096 today for a free assessment. Jake Slocum, American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider. One of the things we've been doing on the podcast this year that we've kind of always done a little bit, but we've kind of focused on it, is is asking people to send us questions and just talking points, things you want want us to try to give our opinion on. I mean, I'm not going to try to act like an expert and say that I can give you the 100% answer, but I'll give you, <laughs> as everybody knows, I'll give you my opinion about anything if you ask. So... uh we we had a uh we've we've been just kind of collecting different questions people ask and things that they kind of want us to opine about and and we're going to um actually at the at, at, towards the end of the podcast we're going to actually talk to Jay James. I know probably a lot of you know who Jay is. Um Jay was the archery pro at Bowie Outfitters for a long time. Then he had his own shop in Eunice and then Jay's Archery Supply and he moved that over into the Pineville area, and he's recently shut the shop down, and he's now uh, moved on to um, doing other work in the archery industry. And we're going to talk to him about that, and a little bit about the industry. And one of these questions is actually we're going to let him at, a- ask, or let let him answer one of the questions that we've gotten recently. So uh, for now, Colin and I are going to be your uh, we're going to be your peanut gallery uh, yep. to kind of opine <laughs> on some of these other questions. And, and talk about some of that just see where that conversation goes and just encourage you you know you can email keep us sending the questions yeah in. keep sending them you can message us on instagram or facebook or you can email us at info at com or the contact form on the website any of those things um before we answer questions we've been teasing and talking about uh, a lot of different things including the film contest which i hope we've not done a great job of posting a whole lot about it even though we are still doing it we're still um gathering uh prize packages and things for that so we're still going to be doing that we're going to be um putting out more information as the season goes along about that so i hope you guys are running your cameras and kind of making plans to to make some kind of film about your hunting season hopefully hopefully some of these deer we we've been we've been posting have have been filmed and the hunts have been recorded i mean yeah yeah i hope we see some some of that videos Another thing that we're going to do this year is we're doing a monthly giveaway. So every purchase that you make online gets a entry into the drawing. So on the 1st of November, we will throw all of the orders from the month of October into a hat, and somebody's going to win a prize package. That prize package for the month of October is going to be one of the new grid light jackets from Scree that we have talked about the last couple of episodes. They've got those in stock and ready to go, so... You'll have your choice of Summit or Solace Camouflage or their Olive Green or Ash Brown. Jacket comes in all four colors. 
sizes. Super nice. Super nice jacket. You will love it. Great kind of lightweight to midweight grid fleece kind of jacket, and um, you'll love it. That and your choice of any of the Louisiana Bowhunter hats that we have in stock, that will be the uh, the monthly giveaway for October. So if you've been looking to buy something or buy something else, every, I mean, if you make more than one order, you get more than one entry into the drawing. So um, if you're looking, it's, you know, you got you still got – 11 or 12 days in the month to place orders online and we'll we'll draw for a winner on uh november the first for that and uh then we'll do it again in november every order in november will get drawn on december the first and we'll do that december and january and just uh you know kind of kind of be getting together some some pretty cool stuff so again our october monthly drawing will be a grid light jacket from scree and a Louisiana Bowhunter hat of your choice. So shop online at Louisiana Bowhunter for that and uh, be looking for more giveaways in November and December. So to get to these questions, we're going to – we got, looks like, five or six here, and then we got one that we're going to ask Jay when we have him on in just a bit. But um, this one I'm going to kind of tee up for you, Colin, because this is really your – I do this as well, but this is really your thing. How long does it take you to get from the ground to an arrow knocked in your setups? And I, I mean, I guess I can say before I turn it over to you, obviously it takes me very little time to get into a pre-hung set. <laughs> so I'm assuming. Yeah, I guess we're, we're talking mobile. Yeah, we're mobile talking set. mobile. So in your style, I mean, Colin hunts out of a saddle a lot. You know, what is, um, how would you answer well, that question? If, if I'm just hunting in, in a mobile set and I'm, I don't have any camera gear, it's quick. I mean, I've I've had pretty much the same, I guess, system for a couple of years now. I run two sticks with a three-step aider. Um, so, you know, I get to the tree and I put one stick on the tree with the aider. So I'm, I'm only, once I leave the ground, I only have one stick to put. Um, and I've recently gotten um, two I think they're Bullman Outdoors Silent Approach um, Apex Steps, I think is what it is. And it's like a plastic uh, step with a, a strap that goes around the tree. Takes like 15 seconds to hang. So if I get to the top of my second stick and I want to try to get to like that 18 or so, I can put one of those on, give me another foot and a half, two feet, depending on how much I stretch it. But if I'm just hunting and, and not filming, I mean, from the time I get to the base of the tree, I, I can probably be, if I had, I mean, I've never timed it exactly, but arrow knocked, I'm going to say maybe eight minutes, maybe. I mean, pretty quick. Um, I, mm. I feel like, I mean, I, I know I've, I've timed just climbing before and I can climb in about five, so pulling up the bow, put the bag on the, the tree, the bow, the straps, everything like that. I feel confident I could get it in eight minutes or less. Yeah. Well, I just don't – like, it's hard for me to answer this question because there's so many variables that the question doesn't take into consideration. So if I'm going mobily hunting and I'm going to a tree that I've hunted before, so I know the tree, I've already – climbed it i you know if there was anything that needed to be cut that's already been done i'm i'm you know familiar in all of those ways 
that obviously cuts down on time a lot, especially, you know, when you're talking about a climbing stand or a mobile lock-on because there's more to consider in that. I mean, you kind of get around a little bit more versatile with a with a saddle than, than with those. But, you know, then again, if I'm going into a new area and I'm just picking a tree, there may be things that I encounter on the way up. I've never climbed this tree before. I may have to cut a limb. You know, I may end up being having to kind of reposition in the tree differently than what I thought it was going to be from the ground because I've never actually been up there. Um, those kind of things all have a, a, a tremendous effect. I mean, for me, I'll say this, hunting out of a saddle has definitely shortened that time. I mean, you can get up there. Quick. Like, to me, if you you got your saddle, everything's already kind of in place, and, and essentially the climbing part is all kind of the same, right? I mean, whether you're hanging a stick and getting to the top of it with a lock on or getting to the top of it with a saddle, you know, your sticks and all are kind of the same. I mean, I, you might could even consider some of that time frame being the same on a climber. You, know, you get your climber hung, you get it to the right position where it's going to be level, and then you up up and down, up and down, up and down, you know, till you get to the to where you're going to go. Um, I mean, for a saddle, you got your platform hanging right there on the saddle. The saddle's already on and adjusted to you. So basically, you strap the saddle or strap the platform to the tree, you step on it, you hook up your tether rope and you're done. Whereas, you know, with a lock on you, it's a little bit more involved with getting the lock on home on the tree, even though it's not a lot more involved in terms of what you're doing. It's just, you know, it takes a little more time. So I, I would assume I have, and I would assume most people have two straps on a lock on and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I'm going to say on average lock on saddle climber, anything, unless there's some major something that happens where I've got to, you know, do some kind of limb cutting or, or adjustment from what I thought it was going to be on the ground. 10 minutes on average is a, a fair time and sometimes much shorter than that you know just just depends a lot of variables yeah. there but i um and i think it's gonna be different for everybody too taller shorter yeah are you afraid of heights so you go slower i mean i don't know i i, I would say right. i think 10 minutes is a good average for somebody that is familiar with their equipment and knows what they're doing um, yeah that's that's what i was gonna say like if you just just like shooting your bow i mean if you take the time and like practice your setup climbing up and down and where you hang your sticks from and your platform or your lock on how many ropes you have tied to backpacks on the ground if you take your time and you practice really 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 can shave some minutes off off of your setup yeah and that that's kind of my point in the variable thing if like i as an example like another question that we have is what mobile lock on do you use so this is all you yeah i mean it's all me but there's also kind of i can i can um conflate the two questions in one answer so i use an xop evolution something i don't even remember evo the, vanish evo vanish, vanish the lighter or something the lighter there, there's two of them and one of them is like a pound heavier i use the lighter one the little bit smaller lighter one well i just recently bought the actual xop sticks and the reason was because they nest onto the stand for carrying with the j-hook attachment and also got the belt attachment where you can hook the it, it hooks onto your belt so you don't have to find a way to carry your sticks up the tree. Those, well, there's, so there's a couple. So one of the things that slows me down on the mobile setup thing is the sticks. You know, the messing with the sticks, everything that that involves. 
that's been one yeah. of the things that I've been trying to hone in on and get better with from both a, a safety, a efficiency, a, a speed, everything. But then there's another part of that. Like whenever I go hunt mobily with this, it's going to be my first time in a real scenario to actually use these sticks. So I know that, you know, down the road, give you know, a month or two into the season, I'm going to get a lot faster because I'm yeah. going to get used to them. So how familiar are you with your setup? How often have you used it? We'll, we'll change all of those, that answer too. So um, I guess we kind of knocked out two questions with one. Born in the swamps of South Louisiana, Buzzard Roost Saddles fits the need for a more efficient means for trekking the swamps and hunting elevated. What began as a scrappy saddle made of sit-and-drag and paracord has evolved into one of the most innovative and quality saddles on the market today. Buzzard Roost Saddles is a small company located in Santa Maria, Louisiana, catering to those scrappy guys that go the extra mile. Whether it's packing out a rugged country or push-poling a P-road through muddy swamps, Buzzard Roost Saddles are designed with quality and comfort in mind for hunters looking to get elevated and hunt mobile. For a quality hunting saddle made right here in Louisiana, shop online at buzzardroostsaddles.com. Here's a, here's a question that I, I could have some interesting commentary on it. <laughs> Tool, so the question, oh, the question is, I guess it's a, a topic more than a question. Tool or trash? Yeah. Sense, mock scrapes, cover sense, like ever calm. Um. Okay. So here's my. I think I know your answer, but I use sense. I don't use mock scrapes. However, I have friends that hunt in the Midwest that live in the Midwest that use mock scrapes for cameras, and they work. Yep. I've yep. never used them, and it, or or hunted around them and expected them to work as far as in the moment hunting scenario. But as far as setting up somewhere to get deer to stop and get good pictures and actually attract most of the deer in your area to actually get inventory through your cameras. Um, I've seen the mock scrape thing work that way. Yep. I've never used it as a method that I thought was going to actually draw a deer into bow range or anything like that. I use deer sense during an applicable time of the year because I don't, I mean, obviously, do I think they can work? Yes. But do I think that it is the most, if, if I'm hunting the rut and I'm hunting a cruising buck, the most natural cover scent that I can expect to be in the woods is estrus. It's, you know, for a lot of reasons. So I don't, I've seen it work without a doubt. I've seen a deer come out, catch scent of a, a scent bomb or something that I've put out and go straight to it and put their nose on it. I've seen it work, but I've also used it and had deer blow at me. I've had deer act like they don't even... I've had deer walk right past it and never even act like they know it's there, and I can almost smell it from the tree, so I know they can smell it. And as far as cover scents and stuff like that goes, I've used Evercom a good bit. I don't know if it works. I've, you know, I've had... I've been in. I've been on hunts where I thought deer should have smelled me, and they didn't, and I was using scents, and I don't know how well it worked. And then I've been on hunts where deer has smelled me, and I'm thinking well the cover scent stuff and the the scent away stuff don't work you know like I, I've, I've seen it both ways and i think the only way the only way you could possibly know is through an extended period of consistent use and data downwind yeah i mean like like with, with anything the deer in the wrong direction 
I think deer in different areas react differently to everything, including scent. You know, calling works on some herds of deer. It doesn't work very well on others. Sense the same way. And so I don't think it's trash, but I think that it's foolish to think that it's some kind of cheat code. It's definitely not that. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I would yeah. – I think – Tell, I mean, tell them how you used um, the the evening you killed your eight point in Kansas a couple of years ago, the tall one. Mm-hmm. What how you were using the spray with the wind and everything? Yeah, I mean, do you remember it or not? Yeah, I do. So we were hunting. It was right around Halloween, and we had a cold. Like we we were scheduled to hunt. Um, what the situation was is, well, I normally try to go to Kansas in November when they're actually rutting, and we had to go earlier because of another schedule that we had and within that we actually got a really good cold front like that last weekend around halloween so we expected maybe some pre-rut activity um kind of setting that stage to to kind of talk about the scent so we hunted we had like a three-day weekend type four-day weekend type thing and we were down to our last evening we had seen some deer we had seen some pre-rut activity so uh, the does were still bunched up. They weren't chasing does. They weren't really following does, but the bucks were kind of posturing with, with each other. And we actually seen some deer kind of sparring and fighting and seen some deer moving in such a way that made you think that maybe they were cruising. So I'm thinking, okay, some level of estrus scent could work. I mean, there's they're starting to get going with this little cool front, and we're a week away from what is traditionally, you know, real rut activity. And so... um we had one evening to hunt, and we had a spot that we knew if we knew it was the spot to be in. And the wind wasn't wrong, but it wasn't right either, if that makes sense. The wind was kind of blowing, like I'm looking straight in front of me, and the wind was kind of blowing from my right shoulder across me a little bit. So it wasn't blowing directly where the deer were going to come from, but it was blowing in such a way that it would take very little for it to drift that way. Yep. And so we're like, we got one afternoon. This is the spot we got to be. So, you know, we did the best we could with with just trying to cover our scent with extra smell around the stand and stuff like that. And then I had a bottle of the, uh, one of those, what was it? Was it, was it Buck Bomb? It? Buck Bomb or Tinks? Yeah, something like that. It's one of those aerosol bottles of, of estrus. And basically what I would do is whenever i felt the wind kind of swirling and shifting that way i would just puff a few squirts of that and just let it drift in the air because i know my scent's going with it but I'm, I'm i'm using that scent and i mean i ended up shooting a really nice deer and we ended up with five or six bucks around us that afternoon and they were i mean the deer were coming down through that area in the afternoon which is why we wanted to be there so I, I'm not going to say that they were attracted to the smell, but I shot the deer downwind. The deer came and, and pretty much had gotten to where he was going to cross my scent. And he kept, you can see it on the video. He kept scent, he was, he was scent checking. And so all the scent that we had put around us was blowing that way. And all this that I kept putting in the air, he came down the hill scent checking the whole way. And he was, I mean, he'd even thrown his nose up and scent checked some, just moments before I shot him. So I don't necessarily think that I attracted that deer. I think that 
you know what we had learned from our time hunting there and trail cameras and all that kind of stuff is we knew we were in the right spot i think you know the deer were coming through that area no matter what but i think that the i do think that the scent that we used gave us it gave us enough to get the shot off concealed our scent it concealed a little bit longer just enough for him to get in bow range and give me a broadside shot because if let's just say for example we were strictly hunting a feeding pattern situation strictly with no pre-rut on the horizon no real reason to use that scent and we just tried to mask our humid scent with scent away products and stuff like that i don't think that deer would have fed in front of us long enough for us to get a shot at him because the wind was not good enough for that he would have had to come from the other direction which he didn't and we didn't expect him to but because of that he i think he was smelling us a little bit but there was also that other cover scent involved and i think it it held him up just long enough for us to get a shot at him that's what i think you know and i think you combine that with the fact that there were three or four small bucks right up underneath the stand and he's smelling that estrus and he knows there's other bucks in his territory and it i think at the combination of all of that it basically kept him in front of me and got him in bow range to where i could shoot him because i think if he's just walking along by himself that afternoon looking for something to eat he eventually gets enough of our scent that he turns around and leaves but the yeah. fact that we had and and look the cover scent i guess another thing to put we had put scent bombs right up underneath us to kind of consistently and those little bucks were all over those they definitely came to those they were all under us making scrapes and and kind of half sparring with each other and they were affected by the scent for sure and i think their presence along with the presence of that smell it drew him in so i mean that's a you know it's a good i'm glad you mentioned that colin because it's as far as this topic or this question goes that's an example of where it's not trash because i definitely don't believe that i could have sat in that stand with that wind on an average afternoon and shot that deer just feeding through there i don't think he would have ever gotten bow range before he smelled us i think we would have saw him because where he came from he would have came out but when he got to 50 or 60 he would have smelled us with with the wind with the wind and i still think he did but we held him there so yep i uh i don't i mean i have a, a pretty much a lot of the similar takes i don't I don't think they're trash, but I don't think you can spray scent away on your body and then go hunt a deer downwind. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think what those – I've heard people talk about that the deal with those products is that, you know, maybe you can make the deer – the deer's going to smell it and smell you. Maybe you can make the deer think that your smell is a little bit older um, yeah. so they feel, you know, less yeah. pressure or less I in agree. danger. I mean, if you're downwind, they're going to smell you. It's just simple. I I agree. I think that deer have a very probably underestimated sense of not only distance, but freshness. Recency. Yeah, freshness. Recency. Yeah, like, and I think that scent products, whether it be scent away products or cover scent products, I think their their primary function for however effective they are. Their primary function is masking the scent to the point that it doesn't smell like somebody sitting in a tree 20 yards away. I don't think that yeah. I don't think that you can get rid of it. I mean, a deer walks around through the woods, most of the places we hunt, and they smell old scent. They smell 
people further away. You know, if you're hunting, you know, property near your home and there's other houses around, they smell people. I mean, my son hunts people barbecuing and yeah, they, and, they smell, and dogs. They smell. Know. They smell that same. They smell you. I mean, I my my son hunts in a stand right behind our backyard, and it's 150 yards from my back porch. When the wind's blowing that way, you don't think that those deer. I got pictures of deer <laughs> on a camera while we're out in the backyard and we're within 100 yards of them. They can smell us. So you mean whether or no, not they think. No, they they yeah. think it's dangerous or they're not. calm they're feeding right there in front of the camera at a time when i know that we're out in the yard and the, and the wind's blowing straight to them so it's it's a matter of that and i think that that's the tool whether it's a tool or trash i mean i think where it can be a tool is in that situation when everything lines up right the deer just doesn't realize that you're sitting right there in that stand they probably still smell you but maybe it smells like somebody that was there yesterday or it smells like something that's hundreds of yards away and not something that's right there immediate danger. That's yep. my opinion about scents and, yep. and that kind of thing. Uh, another, two more questions that we'll cover, and then we're going to go to Jay. Uh, what's our opinion on how long you sit in the stand after you make a shot and don't see a deer fall in sight? I don't think that there's a direct answer to this question. If you there's have, not. <laughs> every situation there's is definitely different. not. You know, I mean... There are times where I have shot a deer with a bow and arrow. There are that you can see it on some of the videos we've done. I've shot a deer and turned around and looked at the camera and said, That deer's dead. No doubt about it. I don't have to see him fall. Sometime in the next yep. ten minutes he's dead, if not minutes. And then there's yep. other times where I'm just not sure. Um and so there's not a, a static answer. So I always try to proceed with caution i think everybody should and if i don't see a deer fall i'm gonna give it at least 30 minutes but there are some times where i don't see the deer fall but there's no really no question in my mind that the deer's down if i don't see him fall i still am gonna give it at least 30 minutes if i don't know if i'm not 100 percent sure of the shot and all that kind of stuff and, and we've talked about this in the podcast with us filming hunts it makes it a lot easier because we can we can verify what we think we saw. We can watch it back on the camera. And blacked out or some people just yeah. black out, you know. We can confirm. Like, oh, yeah, I smoked him. Mm-hmm. We can confirm yeah. whether we were right or not, and then that helps us make that decision. If I don't see the deer fall, I'm going to give it 30 to 45 minutes no matter what. And in a lot of cases, if I know, and then, and then again, if I can verify it through the camera, that it was a really good shot if I saw if the arrow passed all the way through, whether I could see the arrow hanging out of the deer, whether I could see blood coming out as he ran off, all of those things contribute to that kind of static number. My that's kind of my static number to answer the question. If I don't see the deer fall, I'm going to give him thirty to forty five minutes. If I yeah, if I, I don't think, yeah. if I don't see him fall and I'm not sure about the shot, I usually give it several hours, maybe even wait until the next day. Yeah, I mean like. 20, 30 minutes for me, and then creep down quietly, go look at the arrow. That can a lot of times give you a lot of intel. And then another thing is, like, whenever you shoot a deer, like, you need to try to, like, stay calm and listen because you can learn, a, like, a lot about where the deer went. Is he, like, coughing or do you hear him crash? I mean – is he barreling through like a bunch of brush? I think a lot of people sometimes just shoot a deer and they start like freaking out. And yeah, you know, if they're with somebody fist pumping and 
you need to just try to stay calm and listen. And I think you can learn a lot, but yeah, I mean, 30 minutes, check the arrow. Then you kind of go from there. I think, I think you can, you can definitely go too quick. I don't think you can go too, you know, you can't be too slow. So, yeah, I, it's a really good point that you made. Um, you need to try to make it a habit to hold your emotions for a minute when you shoot a deer because especially with a bow because you can learn just about as much in that 30 second window of the deer or even less than that most of the time window of that deer running away as you can in the shot itself his body language the way he reacts the way he runs or her or whatever you know and you know, you, you, you can gain a whole lot to make a decision on that by doing that. And you're right. Like, it's 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 obviously a, an emotion, emotional and excited kind of packed moment of intensity when you shoot a deer. And, you know, you would do yourself a huge favor by being able to just follow your shot and hold that emotion until all of the sight and sound is done. You can't hear anything running off, and, and that includes other deer because you want to know, like, if you're hearing deer run off this way, that way, I mean, all of those kind of things could play some part in you figuring out that blood trail when you get when you finally do get down. So just trying to kind of keep it together and focus on that deer's body language and whatever other information you can gather from him running off. That's a good – I'm glad you said that. That's a really good, really good uh, bit of advice. Um, so, you know, another thing that I'll say, and this probably goes without saying, but the more you do it, the more clear it becomes. You know, it's just, it's, yep. it's a learned experience. And even with that, you can, you know, you, it doesn't matter how many times you're in the stand, whether you're hunting with a friend, running a camera, or you're the hunter. The more times in the stand and the more situations that you encounter, the more you're going to be able to decipher them based off previous experiences, and then you're still going to be surprised by things that can happen. So to your point, it's being slow is always better than rushing no matter what because no matter how much you do, you're yes, you're going to be better at making that decision, but there's still going to be situations that surprise you, and these animals are going to surprise you with what they are capable of. Um in any situation. Yep. So, uh, last question before we go to Jay. And this is kind of a long, I'm going to kind of read the whole thing because I want to make sure. I have an idea of what he's asking. I, so it says, will y'all ever possibly do a discussion for people in hunting clubs and some strategies that we may be able to use there? Some are fortunate enough to be in a club and at the same time are somewhat confined to areas and that's it. For instance, I have a spot that I consistently have deer on camera, but only at night. Would it be smart to use a mobile setup and push deeper to see them earlier in the afternoon or don't bust the area because of the moon phase and hope that their schedule changes as the moon phase changes? I, well. So I, I, just so we're on the same page, I think he means like, so say me and you are in a club, like I get stand one, two, and three to hunt whenever, and you can only hunt stand four, five, and six. Like yeah. I think that's what he's saying, right? Yeah. That's what I, I took. Well, I I, th- I think that's what he's saying, but or I like mean, an area or whatever. It, it could be applicable even to the fact that my club, I'm 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 confined within the boundaries of this club. 
Okay. You know, I think either. I'm, I'm, I think as far as discussing that, it could be either one. Like, obviously, let's just say it's you have a designated area within the club or you're considering the whole club and your camera is near the property boundary either yeah. way, either the boundary that you can go beyond or the property boundary of the lease itself. And you think the deer are not getting beyond that boundary uh, to the spot that you're hunting, you know, to your camera. I So here's my, my, my opinion. It, it's not a one-way answer because not every situation is the same. And what I mean by that is at certain times of the year, I think that the deer are bedded much closer to the food source and you're probably just going to bust them because if you're getting pictures of them at night, there's a good chance that they're bedded pretty close. They're just not getting up to a night. And if you try to go, you try to go beyond that, you're probably just going to mess the whole thing up. And then there's other times of the year where there could be some validity to that. The deer could be coming from a distance and, and if you're smart about it, you might can figure that out and get in closer. I mean, there's, I, I, I believe and have had, had plenty of success in my life hunting staging areas around food plots where that's all related to later in the season when I've got does hitting the food plot and the bucks are not hitting the food plot till after dark and you set up 100 yards off the plot in a staging area, and that buck shows up 30 minutes before dark, and he hangs out there, and he doesn't go out and open till till dark. That happens. But that doesn't mean that your corn pile with your camera in October is the same situation. That buck that's showing up an hour after dark every night, he may be laying down 100 yards from that corn pile until an hour after dark and getting up and walking right over there. Yeah. So you're not going to accomplish anything by 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 trying to get mobile and go all you're going to do is walk in there and blow him out of there and then you're not going to you know you're going to push him further away or or push him completely out so first of all i think that the smart choice the the first smart choice that you make is you have to decipher that like before you do that if you're consistently getting deer on camera in one spot the first smart thing that you have to do is to figure out something more about their pattern other than they're in this spot at this time consistently because like we just said are they there because they're bedded close and they're just getting up and coming over there and they're nocturnal at this point or are they there because they're staging in another area and making their way there i mean you got to try to figure out some way to get that um to get that information and and then of course it becomes obvious at that point um yeah, my think, opinion, my opinion about the confined the the conf, the confined nature of a hunting club or a designated area within a hunting club is while it's nice to have private ground that you have a lot more access to the information, you know, for the most part who's come and gone, when they've come and gone, and all that. You can't force a, a round peg into a square hole. You know, if you have you can't go beyond those boundaries and the deer are currently in a nocturnal pattern. You know, you have to be able to decipher that because you're going to do more harm than good by trying to make something out of nothing. And if the deer on your property are bedding and moving nocturnally, you're not going to move in on them and change that. You're just going to move in on them and blow them out. And so it's been my experience successfully 
what I have done because I hunt this way most of the time is I'm extremely, extremely picky about when and where I hunt on property like this. I do not con- I do not subscribe to the idea that you can't kill them from the couch because in the same way that you can't kill them from the couch, you can't kill them from a random stand that's been overhunted where the deer I mean, you, you're not you're not going to the deer don't just commit suicide. They live and thrive as predator as prey animals that are preyed upon all the time. And if you're overhunting an area especially in the south, especially in the south, if you're hunting an area that's getting too much pressure and you're going in there no matter what the weather is, no matter what the wind is, no ma- with no strategy. Your only strategy is I don't have to go to work today and I want to go hunting. If that's your strategy, you need to have spots set up that are designated for that. And these other spots, I just don't subscribe to there being any kind of real advantage to hours logged over the course of a season in a confined area. Now, if you've got one week to hunt in the Midwest, you've got five days, then yeah, you better put the hours in because when the five days is over, it's over. But if you've got a long weekend in October, but you've got the rest of the season to hunt, you're probably just going to mess up the rest of your season in some way or make it more difficult on yourself by trying to force it when it's not right. The deer are nocturnal. The neighbors are pressuring them. The hunting club members are pressuring them. They're currently not feeding in your area that you have to hunt. And so you're just you're just making it more difficult on yourself in the long run from a season perspective. That, those are my opinions about that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I guess two, two things that I've, I guess, scenarios that I've, I've thought about with this that maybe apply to this person or whatever. If you do want to get a mobile set and push deeper to where you think they are, don't just go barrel through the woods on a calm day with no wind that's dry and everything. Maybe wait till after a rain when it's you can slip through the woods and the wind's blowing 10 miles an hour. You can effectively push closer to where you think um, without maybe getting detected. And then the other thing is, I guess, as far as like if you're kind of close to a, a border and you think they might be coming from the neighbor or something like that. If you are providing a food source for the deer, such as a feeder or a pile of corn or whatever, pull it away, pull it away from the the property line. If you think they're coming from the neighbor's property, pull it closer in to the center of your property. And then maybe that will allow you to um, catch them before dark. uh, If you're not hunting over the, over the, the bait, but if you're hunting around the area, you know, if if they're walking a, a, f- a further distance to the the corn or whatever, pull it closer into your property, and and that'll give you more room to work with, as far as moving around that food source. Yeah, I think um, I think that one thing that you could add to this discussion is observation sits, and the important thing to say about that with this is you really have to be committed to an observation sit. You can't make aggressive decisions and call them observation sits because then 
you're not really doing like you can't well, i'm calling this an observation sit but i'm really kind of inching in closer than what that observation sit should actually be if you think that the deer are moving in such a way that you could push deeper and potentially get on them before they get to that food so if you think that's happening and you're not just going to end up going in there and blowing their bedding area out then maybe a smart move is to find a way to have a couple of observation sits when you have the wind and the weather right where you can observe and confirm what you know and make a smart move if that makes any sense and and that may not even be possible given the geography of the property that you're hunting it may be really hard to do that but um you know i think i think observation sits are really good strategy and i use them a lot in that i don't hunt really hard early in the season but i will go when the weather's right and sit certain places and i've had luck doing that where a deer just walked right in front of me and i was able to to, you know to to get a shot at a deer that was unexpected but that's not what i was there for i was there because i kind of had an idea that the deer are using this area i don't know how I don't want to go in there mobily and end up in the wrong spot and messing the place up. But, you know, this little weather front we got right now is a really good example. I don't hunt a whole lot in October. I'm doing a lot more scouting and trail cameras and stuff like that to try to figure out what's going to be happening when the season starts to turn a little bit and we get more more cruising deer, more rut activity. But when I get a 30-something degree morning and a north wind, I'll go sit on the edge of hardwoods and I don't necessarily expect to have a deer in bow range, but I may see deer using those hardwoods, and it gives me a little bit more information because I'm expecting the cold weather to have them moving a little bit more, and maybe I get lucky, and the deer that I'm after walks in the bow range. But if I just see them, now I can go back in there and put a camera or scout an area more smartly after that to kind of gather more information and get in so I'm, I'm just honing in tighter and tighter and tighter to figuring them out for when the time is right to be in there. So that's, that, I don't know, that's, it's yep. all of the, you know, we found a, a pattern when we <laughs> yeah. ask, when we ask and we want to have these conversations. I think it's good conversations for the podcast and it's great for people to engage with us and, you know, I, again, I don't want anybody to think that I'm the expert opinion on any of this. It's just, it's just my opinion. It's not an expert. Yeah, it's opinion. Just good it's to just pick what I pick think. each other's minds. It's good for the community. Cause it's it's a way of us to communicate and share things with one another. But one of the common things that I'll say that I've seen in this is almost every question we get, as it pertains to at least to hunting strategy, there's not a direct answer. Like your situation is probably unique to its itself in some way, and um, you know maybe it does help to hear somebody you know say something that maybe you hadn't considered. Um, but you know when it comes to these kind of things, so many factors are, are come into play, and that makes it impossible to to say, mm, you know, if you just did this, you'd probably kill him. I mean that. That's just not going to be yeah. the answer very often. <laughs> no. Nope. So, but, but anyway, so I I teased it earlier. We're going to go and we're going to have Jay James on to talk to us a little bit about what he's up to with uh, his new venture in the in the hunting and archery world and uh, talk a little bit about bows and what's going on there. So let's go and talk to Jay. I don't know about you guys, 
But whenever deer season rolls around, I almost immediately start dreaming of chasing big bucks in the Midwest during the November rut. There's not a better state to do it than Kansas. 180 Outdoors is your Southeast Kansas connection. 180 Outdoors offers free-range fair chase Kansas hunting at its finest in one of the best parts of the country, southeastern Kansas. They offer guided and non-guided deer, turkey, and waterfowl hunts. But one of the things they do that's very different is they're also land professionals, and they offer leases on proven farms that produce giant whitetails. So if you've ever wanted to have your own Kansas farm where you can run your own cameras, do your own scouting, and get the full Midwest whitetail experience, 180's got a number of Kansas farms listed on their website right now at hunt180.com, or you can give them a call and find out what else they make and hook you up with at 620-325-4093. Guided, non-guided, lodging, whitetail, deer, turkey, waterfowl, leases, recreational land purchase, anything you need, 180 Outdoors is your Southeast Kansas connection. Hunt180.com. Jay James joins us on the podcast. It's been a little while. Jay, why don't you tell everybody what you're up to these days? Uh, I closed the shop down and uh, took a position as a regional sales manager for uh, Fred Bear Archery. So I uh, travel Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Texas as a sales rep. How's that going so far? So far, so good, man. It's a breath of fresh air to get out of the four walls that you stand in all day, every day for your entire life and get out on the road and go visit with people and meet with people. A lot of the guys, you know, I've known off and on through shows and back and forth with dealer meetings and things like that over the years and a bunch of new folks to meet. A lot of interesting characters out there for sure. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, as far mm-hmm. as, you know, I guess your kind of exposure to the industry, the archery and outdoor industry from being a shop owner to working with, you know, one of the main companies, does it, has it, has it changed your opinion of anything or are you seeing things from a different perspective working in that capacity as opposed to, kind of representing whatever you had for sale in your shop uh you know it it, i had a lot of uh a lot of uh input from my sales reps because a lot of those guys that were sales reps some of them still are sales reps i've known for 25 or 30 years and when i was younger i tried several times to get a, a a rep position and it just never worked out but uh a lot of my buddies that were reps that I've known, some of them are almost like father figures, helped me out with a lot of things when I was younger and stuff. Uh, you know, they always, like, I, they were training me and grooming me to be a rep. So I kind of knew a lot of what was how the industry worked on the inside from a manufacturer standpoint. There's still a few little things. Uh, you know, we had a conference call today, and we're already discussing what we want to see for product lines for 2024. And the 2023 stuff was released October the 3rd. And we're already in discussions about things like that. The The industry works faster in some aspects, or let's just say the manufacturers work faster in some aspects on some things than I thought, and they work slower on some things than I thought. Um, our general manager has been there for a couple of years. He come from... Uh, 
he's worked in the industry his whole life too. And he, he come from working for a couple other different companies and he's, he's a go-getter. He wants to keep things progressing and, uh, innovating a few things. And it, it, it's a little different than being behind the counter for sure, but it, it's not, it's not as much different as really what I thought it would be. What is your, what's your take on like, where the industry is like given given what you've done so far this year like what do you where do you see the archery industry in 2022 so 2022 compared to 2021 and 2020 is down i mean that that's just a given uh there's a lot of things that is the cause of that uh, not a lot of innovation and in bows was out uh but that was nowhere near the main thing. COVID happened in 2020, uh, caused people to be sitting at home, getting their bows out of the closet, new people getting into the sport. Uh, and then 2022, 2021 was, you know, uh, up here again. Uh, just same thing, people getting into it, not having a lot to do. Now in 2022, COVID pretty much over um, and with fuel prices and the economy and everything going on people just ain't spending uh, so that's a lot to do with uh, the industry being down uh, more than anything so tell, I, 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 I was going to kind of piggyback off of what you just said but I want to kind of lead you in another direction first so before I ask that question so tell us I know Bear just released their new line, and they've got some really impressive stuff. So kind of give us a brief rundown, and then I got a pricing question uh, after you give that rundown. You want to run down on the new stuff? Yeah, kind of like or... what, what's Bear, what Bear's n- doing new. I don't think we're, we're not stepping on any schedules here because I, I mean, they've pretty much, already, pretty much already put it all out there, I think. Yeah. New stuff, uh, we didn't do a ton new with Bose. Uh, we have a well. We did come out in July. The Adapt was released, which is the uh, Hunting Public, I guess you would say, signature bow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took off, man, with a bang. Uh, way out did the forecasting, um, but it's a four twenty nine retail bow. Uh, so when the new release for uh, the twenty twenty three year, the bow is. It was available bow only in July, and now it's available in the, the ready-to-hunt package, uh, which is, you know, set up sight, stabilizer, quiver, arrow rest, loop, heat sight, wrestling, everything's on there ready to go. Um, but so that bow came out, uh, did really well. That's a 32-inch single cam, six and a half inches of brace sight, 320 foot a second. Uh, extremely dead in your hand. Uh, just smooth shooting. It's you know it's your typical 320 foot a second single cam. It is just melts in your hand, very quiet, easy to shoot. Um, the package is 529. Uh, then we've got in the Legend series, which is a dealer only product, dealer only line, no internet sales or anything. We have the uh, Whitetail Legend XR which I'm pretty excited about. It comes in um, just a little bit different category than what's available out there with anybody. So it's a hybrid cam 
system. Uh, 31 inches long, you know, six and a quarter inches of brace height. And it goes from 18 to 31 inch draw length. So you're like, oh man, it's one of these bows with the, the, the big long draw length adjustment and it don't really perform well and it, it don't really feel good. And it don't always, some of these bows that have a draw, a huge draw length adjustment don't tune good throughout the entire cycle. But there's a patent on the cam that we have and what it does, it allows us to have different draw length ranges within the cam. So everything's optimized at all drawings and poundages. Uh, but it's 18 to 31 inches and 14 to 70 pounds. It's uh, 459 retail on the bow, uh, 559 in the package. Uh, it is it is super smooth to draw. It's 85 percent let off, and it's the adjustability allows you to be able to sell it to a teenager. Uh, or even an older person or even a lady that might have to put it on one of the, the, the ranges to get the poundage down. I mean, because the ranges overlap and allow you to change ranges to go up in weight later on or down later on. Uh, but it hits the market because it's not the, it's not your, you know, 299 tweener bow that's with plastic pockets and plastic modules. It's a, it's an extremely well built bow. And it's going to be really well this year. And then you get to the Execute. And we have an Execute 30 and an Execute 32. And that's our flagship. That's our high-end bows. They are not inexpensive bows. They were not built to be inexpensive bows. There, there was no cost spared on them. They're going to retail for $11.99 is what MSRP is. There are uh, Fofos 130, 132, um, six and a half inches of brace height, three, both for 340 foot a second. Uh, draw, uh, let off is adjustable, adjustable 75, 80, 85, and 90%. Um, has a completely new limb pocket. And if any of y'all guys know me from the past, I, I'm a limb pocket freak. And this pocket is, there's never been anything quite like it. But it is the most solid pocket that I've seen on a bow yet. Um, it's a binary cam, uh, cable stops, four limb stops, uh, has an adjustable uh, swing arm cable guard that can be adjusted in and out and left and right for tuning purposes. Uh, comes with two grips, uh, dampeners in the riser, uh, actually has a level in the riser to help you level your sights and stuff like that. Uh, but just super dead in your hand, super quiet. Uh, some of the uh, YouTube uh, bow testers and stuff did some tests with uh, the decimal meter that they've been using for years, and it, there's only one bow on the market ever that come out quieter than it was, or they are, both bows. Uh, that's how quiet they are, and they're fast. And they shoot really good. I've, I've had one since the beginning of September. I've done shot a, a deer with it. Uh, it is, it's truly our first endeavor into a high-end bow that people are going to start talking about. Well, one of the one of the things that we're doing on the podcast this this season that we haven't really focused on as much is we have people like drop their opinions and questions that they want us to talk about. 
And one of the things that's kind of in a list that we've been meaning to get to, which you, you just kind of segue straight into it, is someone asked, is there much of a difference between an entry level compared to a flagship boat? And I, I think, obviously, the pricing is different. But for the average person, I mean, you gave us a lot of details about the bows, but for the average person that is, um, you know, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna try to set set it in the middle. Somebody that bow hunts a good bit, but is not just a, you know, 365 a year consider themselves necessarily an archer. You know, what are the differences in spending 600, 700 dollars on a entry slash ready to shoot style bow and jumping up into the thousands of dollars for a flagship? And what are they getting in, in layman's terms? Uh. You're going to get one of the things you're going to get tighter tolerances. You're going to get better machining. Um, you know, it every get kind of put this to get uh to get the price down. Corner two has to be cut. So that's one of the things that we we strive on. And our big thing is we're not known as a high end bow company, and we don't expect to go out there and just you know take this huge market share with this new bow, but we are planning on moving up in the market share on the high end stuff. But so this is how I put it. You're going to get a boat that's going to have less vibration, less recoil 99% of the time. You're going to get a boat that's faster almost definitely. Um, tunability, how easy they are to tune, how easy they are to set up is usually better on a high end boat. They usually have some type of adjustments on them to make that simpler. And anything you do like that costs more money. Uh, now, in saying that, one of the things I ask people, and I've always done this, and if we got a, an Eastern whitetail guy, the average whitetail guy is never going to shoot a deer over 40 yards in his life. And I know somebody's going to come out, well, I shot a deer at 55 or 65, whatever. Okay, yeah. But the average east of the Mississippi guy is not going to ever shoot a deer over 40. Most guys are never going to shoot a deer over 30 yards. So, can you say, oh, man, yeah, i got to have this big high-end bow to be able to do that? No. The DAP, the Legend XR, our little species that we've had for several years and a couple different variances, that's a 419 package, is honestly plenty enough to shoot a deer at 25, 30 yards, which is what 99% of people are going to do. Yeah. Uh, now, you go out west, hey, man, that's a whole other ballgame. Western guys all shoot further that's man that's just the way it is um it, we were in the sales meeting we were having a discussion about you know who sold the most of this who sold the most of that well uh our sales guy that has uh the western states are two different guys we have one guy that has pacific northwest and one guy has uh, uh colorado utah nevada arizona new mexico and california well, man, guess what? They didn't sell any three pin sites hardly at all. They sold five pin sites, seven pin sites, multiple pin movers. The guys up in the uh, Northeast, hell, dude, they hardly sold any five pin sites because those guys don't shoot very far. Um, but that's what you have to look at. Hey, am I just going to set over a feeder or I'm just going to set in a thicket? I'm not going to shoot over 25 yards. You don't have to have a whole lot to be consistent and be accurate at 25, 30 yards. Yeah. Well, you and I had a conversation not too terribly long ago, you know, when you were kind of getting started with your new venture there. And 
just at the the sales numbers between the flagship expensive bows and the the others and everything tends to you know kind of trend to what you just said for most people they're making that observation and making that decision on their own just pure numbers so like you know does that does that in your eyes does that lend itself to us seeing less investment by the bow companies on the higher end bows i mean if they're not selling them because innovation and technology has caught up on the mid-levels to the point that the market's shrinking are we going to start seeing that scale back i mean from a pure business standpoint if you're selling five times the amount of this than you are of that obviously the price goes up because the 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 level of engineering and 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 all that is is a much greater investment by the company. So how does that how does that look down the road in your mind? So depending on the company, you take some companies they don't even build bow and bows. There there's several companies out there. You say, oh yeah, they they have this, but no, I mean really truly they have it just because they don't really sell low end anything uh, or mid range anything. Um, so with Bear, we know we're our we're our bread buttered man. We're we're the we're the king of the mid range the lower end uh, bows. I mean, we pretty much have that market cornered. Um, we sell the numbers of bows we sell from 419 packages to like 599 packages. Is when I got when I went to work on it, it's mind boggling, uh, truly mind boggling. Um, we're trying to get in. So manufacturers want to sell high end stuff if you can, because you're making more money off high end stuff. I mean, that that's a given. Uh, and that's one of the reasons we're venturing out and, and they come up with the execute stuff. Uh, and we're having a great year so far. Uh, the numbers we're going to, we're going to sell way more executes than we did the high end bows the last few years, but we know where it's at. And kind of, I think what you're trying to get at here is, so I've been bow hunting for 32 years and I can take our four nights, 419 species that comes in a package for $419 is light years ahead of the first bow I ever had. Right. Hell, probably the first 10 bows I've ever had. And we killed deer back then. Right. You know, that, you know, you don't have to have the high end stuff. Uh, it's, I think a lot of this. A lot of the stuff with a lot of these manufacturers is more of a status quo for guys to walk around and go, "Yeah, look what I got." Yeah. So, is I mean, is it is it safe to say? So let's let's just take a hunter, I guess, in the, the South that is like kind of locks that he's not like he doesn't bow hunt three hundred sixty five days. So he might bow hunt up until rifle opens, and he might rifle hunt for a while, and then he might bow hunt a little bit at the end of the year when rifle closes. That person probably is it safe to say that he won't even really notice a difference in the entry level versus the flagship just because they haven't shot enough or, or that much. Yeah, not not to sound like a like a prick about it, but yeah, man, the average guy that pulls their bow out a week before bow season and shoots it. And I'll be honest, I mean, you know, most of your listeners are not those guys, but we all know those guys. I mean, that was one of the things in the shop. That's one of the things that made me start shaving my head where I didn't pull all my hair out was 
guys come in two days before season. Hey, man, I, I broke my bow out yesterday and the strings broke. Can you fix it by tomorrow? No, <laughs> I can't. You know. Um, no, man, those guys don't. That, that average guy like that will never tell the difference. Um, right. I mean, it, it's just not. If you don't put the time behind the bow, no, you're not. If you're a guy that shoots, uh, you know, if you have a guy, and let's say he might not be a crazy serious bow hunter, but he does shoot, let's say, let's say he shoots 40, 50 arrows a day, not a day, a week. Will he tell the difference? Yeah, he probably will. But I'll tell y'all this, and, and there'll be people that's like, oh, no, that ain't no way. There is a chunk of the, of the number of bow hunters out there that probably don't shoot 100 arrows a year. Oh, yeah. And that's hard to believe. Yeah. But yeah. from a lot of people that are hardcore, you know, archery, bow hunting through and through, and there's a ton of people out there that shoot less than – I can tell you there's probably a majority of those guys that shoot less than 50 arrows a year. They break their bow out. They shoot 15, 20 arrows at, at 20, 30 yards two or three days before season, and they go get in the stand opening morning. Yeah. yeah. Once the season starts, they don't touch it. Yeah. They no. just no. think they're good. I'm excited yep. and I'm good to go. Yeah, yeah, and yes. you know, man, the, one of the biggest things I've always seen is people will set their bow up, get it shot, and they'll spend months shooting a bow all summer long, this and another. And then when season starts, they don't shoot anymore. And then two months in the season, they 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 shoot at the, they shoot a deer and they miss, and it's like you made a you know you you come back and you check everything and it's good. Well, you made a bad shot. Well, it was sighted in. You made a bad shot. You haven't been practicing. You made a bad shot. Yeah. Um, that, and of course, in today's society, it's never it's never the person's fault. It's always the equipment's fault. I have actually my own personal anxiety keeps me on the right side of that whole thing because I probably shoot like on an average, I probably shoot more during the season than maybe I do not because I am constantly every time I hunt and do anything. My bow's actually moving and going places with me. So my anxiety has got me thinking, is something wrong? Is something off? Or I just hung this new set, and I'm, and I'm kind of recognizing that, hey, that this is going to have a certain kind of shot, and, that, and I'm worrying about it. So I'm practicing that kind of shot. Or I'm, or I'm just shooting more often because I'm like, you know, that was an awfully bumpy ride in, ride out. You know, maybe, maybe I, uh, my bow, uh, I feel like something happened. I'm always like checking and checking and checking because i'm actively involved and i'm hunting and then you know during during the off season or leading up to the season my bow's like taken care of i keep it clean it's hung up i know nothing's wrong with it i know that there's nothing wrong with my bow i haven't done anything with it and so i'm kind of the opposite but i think that like what you're saying jay it really just makes it defines two different people uh or two different types of people and there's nothing wrong with either one but it just it is what it is when you're when you're a consumer and you're in the bow market there's two types of people there's bow hunters people that would truly identify as bow hunters and archery enthusiast type people and then there's people who enjoy bow hunting but their primary driving factor behind enjoying bow hunting is it extends their opportunity to hunt they're not they're not as they're not as engaged in the sport of archery and the sport of bow hunting as you know as it pertains to their style of hunting as much as they are hey i just want to hunt and i want to hunt as often as i legally can 
And if I become a bow hunter, I'm hunting more, you know? And so, yeah. I, you know, the industry's just, I think in one way or the other, the industry has just played into that when and you got, like you said, I think, I think one of the, the, the best things you said, Jay, was it, to me, it's like car, it's like car companies. There are certain car companies they don't really make a high-end car. They make a bunch of mid-level cars, and maybe every now and then they do a, a, a special package on something that's more expensive. But they make economical cars. And then there's other car companies that they don't make economical cars. All they make is high-performing, expensive, or luxury cars, right? And boat, I kind of get what you're saying. Is there's boat companies are kind of like that too. Yeah. So, One of the things that you just said there about the two different types of people that boat hunt, the guys that are true bow hunters and the guys that are hunters that extend their season it, i think the term now that we like to use across the board or i like to use across the board is uh it's when the like the total archery challenges things totally archery total archery challenge shoots started around and started it's so popular now is it's a lifestyle choice yeah the, the guys that bleed the lifestyle i mean we cringe when we hear about you know we cringe when we see the guys yeah, I pulled my bow out yesterday. I'm going to hunt tomorrow. Yeah. But to those guys, there's nothing wrong with that. That's how they do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's in, it it's it's always interesting, you know, businesses. Like, like hunting is such a, like you said, it, it, it tends to be every kind of hunting. Um, there's like a hierarchy or like this flow down type of system to it where, the lifestyle comes in as like outdoors people and then as hunters and then from down from there you've got bow hunters or specific style of hunters uh with it whether it's bow hunting and deer hunting or whatever it is and it's just like the industry business is business and they're gonna you know whether the lifestyle like you said it makes us it makes certain people cringe in what you know is necessary to be an effective archer and people not doing that you know, I would say that it's it, it, the industry, the people in the industry making these decisions, they recognize that too, but they also have to make money. And if they can sell ready-to-shoot ready packages at a more economical price, it yes, it feeds that – it feeds a certain, um, you know, habit that maybe they wouldn't personally do, but it makes them money. And I just – I think that, like – it seems to me like if if that it's just like with crossbows. I mean, I, I'm not trying to get into that conversation on a on a on a deep level, but crossbows gave people a more easy, efficient way to hunt the archery season. It's just what it is. Call it for what it is. There's no um, there's nothing really more to it than that. And so the industry has seen a huge increase in the investment in in, in the crossbow mar market, and there's more companies doing them there's more variety and versions offered to the consumer and it just seems to me like you know bear like you've said uh and just kind of in in what you've described bear that's kind of their market that's kind of what they are as a brand so it seems like you're going to see a whole lot more of that i mean it stands to reason if you're selling more of that why wouldn't you see more of that but you've told me over and over and i've yet to put my hands on it but you're You've told me that this new execute bow that Bear's got is just, you know, a serious contender in the flagship market. And I'm curious, maybe this is an obvious answer, but it's just kind of one of the last things I wanted to ask you about it. Like, MSRP on that bow, you said twelve ninety nine. Eleven ninety nine. 
eleven ninety nine. So it's twelve hundred dollars for that bow. That's still a, that's still significantly cheaper than the flagship Pro Series of other brands. Is that just a is that just a, a bare thing? You know, way they run their business, or is there something that allows them to compete like that? Something specific? Um, man, we have our engineers. Um, and I've been around a lot of the engineers from the other companies and stuff. But man, our engineers, we, well, first thing, we have a bunch of them. Um, and they look at a lot of things and doing it. And, and what a lot of people don't understand about Bear is Bear is owned by a, a company called Escalade Sports. And Escalade Sports owns um, uh, Gorilla Basketball Gold. You know, you go to an academy and you see these really expensive basketball gold. That's all part of the company. They We, we bought Brunswick pool tables not long ago. Uh, they are the leader in the pickleball. Mm-hmm. By the way, pickleball is like the fastest growing sport in the country, they say. Uh, most yeah. people in Louisiana probably don't yeah. know what it is. But you go up north and, oh, I got a dealer in Arkansas. He has literally has a pickleball court next to his bow shop out yeah. in the middle of the woods. And there's a bow shop and a pickleball court. It's, it's mm-hmm. freaking crazy. Um, but our engineers um, do things. They build, how do I put it, when they engineer something, it's got to be right. But they also engineer it in a way that it's easy to assemble and easy to manufacture. That's one way we can keep our costs down. Um, and that, that that's a big part of it. The uh, other thing, man, this year here, kind of what we're getting on the inside industry feed is, Several of the companies are going to be going up in price. They're trying to get into a different type of market. They're going to be going up on price, which is great for, to me, it's great for us, great for me, because I think that's going to allow me to sell more of our high-end bows in certain shops in certain areas. Um, but, yeah, man, to get to that, we're still going to be, I don't think anybody's going to have a high-end bow cheaper than we're going to be, but I do. I don't think some of the high-end aluminum bows are going to be a whole lot more expensive than ours, um, but we're, we should still be coming in on that lower end of the high end, I should say, far as price, but not quality. No, no, no way or means and quality less than what the other ones are. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see it. Get to kind of see how it shoots and all that. I and I I don't really recall bear kind of jumping in that flagship market that much in my time. But I, I, one other thing I wanted to ask you, you mentioned that that adapt bow was kind of a signature bow uh, designed through the hunting public. And, you know, Bear did the Primos bow. Uh, this way back when me and you worked at Bowie's, they had that green, oh, yeah. that Primos bow uh, was just a, basically a single cam mid-level type of design. Um, PSE has done signature stuff with jury and with john dudley with knock on archery there's obviously some percentage of sale and popularity attached to the influence behind the name um and and i guess the kind of what i'm saying is there are people buying it because they follow that that influencer in some way and they're not really paying attention to any tech specification they're just they want to shoot that bow because they follow that person um you think that's gonna? You, you think bow companies are gonna? We're gonna see more and more of that. I mean, I, it seems like it's happening, but 
Well, it's always happened. I just think it's kind of, uh, I mean, you think about something, man. I mean, go back to when we were kids, Chuck Adams. By the way, Chuck Adams is shooting a bear now. Um, Fred Eichler, we, we have a, we have a new Fred Eichler signature series takedown recurve handle. Mm-hmm. Um, but the hunting public, man, is, it's insane in my travels. Um, they, they are like the number two or number three watch YouTube hunting channel. Yeah. Um, it, it's crazy. And I go in stores and I might say I'm in a store for two hours. It is very rare that I don't see at least two or three guys while I'm in a store walk in with a hunting public t-shirt or hunting public cap on, especially Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas. Uh, Texas is a little different because Texas don't have a whole lot of uh, public land, so those guys don't really get watched a lot in Texas. Uh, Oklahoma's kind of the same way. There's there's public land, but not a ton, so you know they're they're not as popular. But Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, I can promise you, you can't walk in a store and spend an hour and, see, and not see at least one guy walk in with a, a t-shirt or a cap. Yep. Yep. Well, I mean that's the internet's so powerful. And I think, you know, Bear did it a long time ago when they recognized how popular the hunting series was and how popular the truth about hunting was. They jumped on it. Then PSE did it with Drury taking over the Outdoor Channel. And now you've got YouTube stars influencing bow, uh, the bow market. So that's, I mean, that, to me, that's a good thing. I mean, I, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me one way or the other. I don't watch a whole lot of YouTube hunting, even though I, produce it and create it i still don't watch a whole lot of it and but that's the um i mean hell um, if it if it influences the industry in a positive way it's a good thing that's a good thing they're doing anyway for all the you know what the internet creates the internet just creates uh polarization in everything it touches so this is an example of where it's not where it's actually benefiting an industry and not just creating divisiveness so that's that's a good thing i guess so yeah, I guess you know it's good to catch up with you. I, I, I know people. We've talked about bow shops and what's going on, and and we've you know talked about you moving on and closing the shop down. So anybody that's listening that's just found out, Jay's Archery Supply has now uh, been shut down, and Jay is hitting the road, traveling, selling bows for Bear. And uh, it was good to catch up with you. What you what do you got going on? Just as we wrap up. Our conversation. What do you got going on with hunting this year? I mean, you got any big hunts planned or anything like that? Not really, man. Uh, just I started. I started August the first and doing the job. I didn't really know what my. I just wanted to spend a lot of time getting to know the entire territory and the traveling thing. Kind of new uh, to get to get all that down pat. I didn't really plan a whole lot. You know, man, I, I got some places I get to hunt in Louisiana, Mississippi that I've always been able to hunt, and I do hunt uh, a decent amount in the hill country in Texas. Uh, you know, just my normal, usual thing. Next year, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably apply for a few elk tags and something else. Try to September is kind of a down month for us. I can try to get out west and go do something. It's been a long, long time since I've been out west anywhere. Uh, yeah. hunting so yeah i would think you you know i i know in um the entire time that i've known you 
and uh, and whatever you've been behind a counter and hunting season was when you had to work so i would assume that as you get more acclimated to your new job you're actually going to get to hunt more than you ever have or at least since you went to work full-time as a in the archery industry you you don't have to be there selling bows you can actually go shoot them a little bit so (laughs) yeah i'll tell you man working for bear um they tell us hey man y'all you know in november y'all y'all make sure y'all getting your work done but take off and go hunting they're all Midwestern guys. The, the office is in Indiana, and that's how they look at it. They want us to get out there and hunt and use the product and, and, and show uh, show it off. Uh, and, yeah, I will get to hunt way more than I normally do. Just a, 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 a tip for everybody, if you really like to bow hunt, don't ever open an archery shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got to be there when the sun – make hay when the sun shines, so, they, so, so to say, yeah. the saying goes. But, yeah. Well, that's good, man. I wish you the best in your things. And in full disclosure, you know, I'm so freaking busy that I am not doing a great job on scheduling. And Jay just happened to text me this morning about something else. And I'm like, hey, I need to record a podcast. Can I call you this afternoon? <laughs> He's like, sure. I got to be in line to pick up my kids. Go ahead. So it's kind of spur of the moment, but it's good information. I'm glad we were able to catch up and uh, let people know what's going on, talk about it a little bit. So thank you for jumping on. Yep. No problem, man. All right. Well, I will talk to you later, I know, but uh, anything big comes up, let me know. We'll talk about it. But uh, other than that, enjoy your, I guess, a little bit of your newfound freedom, your new job, and thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, guys. Talk to you all later. Big thanks to Jay for jumping on and sharing some time with us. Um, Wish him the best with Bear Archery and everything that he's doing. And um, it's I know I've been friends with Jay Exciting for a long time. news. Yeah, it is. And I've been friends with Jay for a long time. And in my opinion, he's one of the best bow techs that, uh, that I've ever been around and uh, does a great job and really has spent a lifetime understanding and knowing archery and bows. And so I think Bear's got a, a great representative and um, he'll bring a lot to that team. Um, if, uh, you know, I don't, there's not a lot that I can add to that conversation that we had, especially about the question that was asked about entry level as opposed to flagship bows. I'll just say this in, in closing, and I, you know, I, I didn't want to prolong that conversation with Jay, but I agree with, with all that we talked about, and, and the only other thing that I would say is I, I have personally experienced in my own life a number of friends of mine who have gotten into bow hunting, and they got into bow hunting at an economical level, you know, they bought a bow used from someone or they bought the ready-to-hunt style package of bow, and they really got into bow hunting and really loved it from a, a perspective of the style of hunt, archery, you know, just kind of talking about what we talked about with him, not so much just a way to extend their season, but they really, you know, got into it and decided, hey, I really want to hunt this way a lot, and I'm, I really like the archery side of it. There's, when when you get a flagship or pro series higher end bow they just shoot differently there's just there's no it's not to say that like jay said in a 25 yard scenario that they're more deadly than any of these new kind of mid-level bows these new mid-level bows are so much better than any of us had in the 80s 90s and early 2000s and they're extremely efficient and there's and and they shoot really well compared to you know the innovation has come so long but 
there is a at whether you shoot a lot or you shoot a little bit, there is an absolute notable difference in your ability as an archer and your enjoyment of shooting a pro level, high level bow. They just they're just you know, without trying to be an engineer in this conversation and talk about specific things that are done in the in the in the creation and, and manufacturing because I don't know all those details. I just know that I've seen too many people in my life go ahead and say, hey, I love bow hunting. I've been bow hunting long enough now. I'm going to go ahead and invest, and I'm going to get one that's uh, a high level, whatever it is that they decide that they like, not, not a brand-specific conversation here, just any of their – and they start shooting. They're like, man, I never thought I could shoot like this. You know, the, just yeah. they're just higher engineered. Their, their tolerances are better, and – that, as we've talked about in different conversations before, all of that translates to the hunting scenario. Because when you shoot in the yard and you are absolutely in love with how that bow feels and you feel like you can make any shot you put in front of yourself and you develop that confidence, that carries over into the woods. And there's something to be said for that. You know, it's not that literally this bow can do something at 25 yards that that bow can't it's not it's it's what you can do not what it's it's the confidence that you have to execute because you're so comfortable and the bow feels so much better and you're you know convinced yourself that you're a better shot and if you dedicated a certain amount of time to a mid-level bow maybe you could be just as accurate but it's sometimes it's just about what you convince yourself of more so than the reality the reality is I've been bow hunting long enough, and I've shot enough animals that I could take any mid-level bow, shoot it for a little bit, get used to it, and be just as effective from a death standpoint as I am with my current hunting bow. There's no doubt in my mind, but it'll never take the place of the confidence that I feel. I don't ever think twice about it. I know what I can do with that bow. I know what that bow can do, and I don't ever think about it. You know, when a deer steps out, I just shoot it. And so I've just seen it. Yeah. I think the best thing you can do is go shoot a bow before you buy it. Don't just say, hey, this is the one I want. It looks cool and buy it online and get it sent to your house. Yeah. They, they all feel different, so go shoot the bow before you buy it. Definitely. Well, you know, the, the we're, we're going to wrap the podcast up here, but I, I can tell the recent story myself that I had the Hoyt um, – Shoot, I can't even think of what it's called now. Whatever it was. The last I, one? Yeah, my... Uh, the Helix? Helix. I had the Hoyt Helix. And I was going on my third season with it, I think. And I loved it. Killed, I don't know. I don't know. How many How many did you film me kill with it? Three or four? I, I filmed you kill three bucks with it. And, and I had hunted, you know, and I mean, I had... That's just the ones from our, our filming stuff. I mean, I... I loved that bow, and it it was it was uh, kind of a bow that I had told myself I was going to shoot longer than I had, you know, maybe any bow because I've never I've always kind of gotten a new bow every two or three years, and I thought I'm going to shoot this bow for I just love this bow it's the best bow I've ever had, and I hunted with it for three years I was going into my fourth is what I think it was, and. Uh, we went to Jay's shop before he shut down because a friend of mine was getting a new bow. And I just I just went along just 
I was just going just to just to be there. I wasn't going to shoot. And he had the new RX-7, and he was like, look, man, we're shutting the shop down. We'll give you a good deal, whatever. So I shot a bunch of different bows, and I told Colin that day, after I shot that RX-7, I said, I don't care how good of a deal he makes me on anything in here. I ain't buying anything but that. Like, that, I mean, I can kill a deer with every one That's of these That's why bows. I ultimately didn't buy anything else. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 no yeah. doubt I could set up any one of those bows that I tried out, and I could have shot it. I don't know that I would have liked it more than my Helix because I really liked that bow, but I could have shot any of those bows, been good with them, been comfortable with them, been confident with them, but when I shot that RX-7, it was different to me than every other bow in there, and I was like, I'm not spending a dollar unless I buy that one, and of course I ended up buying that one. You know, but yeah. there's something, yeah, you... It, it it tears me up to hear about how this, the archery shop business is going the direction it's going, you know, because there's so many advantages. I mean, Scree sponsors this podcast. Colin and I do a ton of work for Scree. We're, you know, obviously, they're, they're a direct-to-consumer business. It works for hunting gear. They offer the customer service to make that work. That does not translate to bow and arrows. Online shopping has a place in the world. It's made our lives so much more convenient and streamlined but when it comes to a bow and arrow that you want to be really good with you need to go shoot multiple bows at a local bow shop with somebody there that can help you get that thing dialed in to fit you you know and the only exception to that is you know somebody who is very proficient in archery has been shooting a long time maybe you can order a bow and because you you know whatever but if you're not that guy if you're a guy that needs you know somebody to help you get a bow set up you haven't been shooting bows your whole life that's not like kind of your passion you need to go to a shop and shoot them because even a pro series bow may not feel very good to you and now here you've bought it because your buddy's got one and it looks so nice and he's killed a bunch of deer with it and this brand is popular amongst your group of friends or or whatever the case may be but then you get it and it's like eh, you you know and it and maybe you don't even know that because you haven't compared it against other bows but there's a there's a notable difference for and it's an individual thing. So uh, you're one hundred percent right about that. Like entry level, mid level, flagship, whatever it is, you need to shoot them and you need to shoot multiple of them. But you know, just to the point I was making before I wrap up, I have personally seen multiple instances. I don't I don't I don't know how to count them. But it's been a bunch of people that I've hunted with who got into archery and they were shooting a bow that was a hand-me-down or a used bow or a economical purchase because it fit their budget at the time. And they finally got into it enough to say, yeah, I'm going to invest in a, in a high-end bow. And when they did it, they were like, man, I just didn't realize. I just, I had no idea. Because there's a huge difference. There is a huge, and the gap is closing, like we said, about the mid-levels, but I don't think it'll ever take the place. There's a reason they cost so much. <laughs> I mean, they they are they are yep. it's it's They're really not the same bow really awesome so anyway um just to kind of remind you we're doing the monthly giveaway we're giving away the grid light jacket from scree and the louisiana bow hunter hat everybody that purchases something online at louisianabowhunter.com will be in that drawing on november the first and we'll be doing that each month of the season and we're doing the film contest so i hope you guys are out there planning and filming your hunts and all the stuff that goes around that hopefully you're doing it with a partner because that'll make it a lot more fun and and, and a lot easier and um kind of planning to 
to to get a film together from this season and and uh we're going to be getting together a really great prize package for that so um just looking for all that and just just encourage you you know get out there on the Louisiana Bowhunter community page on Facebook and you know post your pictures post your stories different things um we do ask that you don't try to use it as a classifieds that's not what it's for we want it to be a community conversation where people can uh go just enjoy discussion about hunting and different links to different resources that can benefit everybody involved um not intended to be a personal classifieds but we do want people to take take part in it and um just go out to louisiana bowhunter check out some of the new stuff we've got we've got some more new apparel designs that are going to come out here in november as we get further on in the season and we just appreciate everybody listening and following along supporting the brand and we will talk to you next week Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.